to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. If you don't know me, my name is Evan. I'm the student pastor here. And um, I just want to thank uh, Pastor Chris, my dad, for giving me the opportunity to preach today. It is absolutely an honor. I don't take it lightly. So thank you so much for for being here, and I'm, and I'm thankful to him to, to be able to preach. Hey, before we get going, um, something special is coming up. In just a couple of weeks, my wife Elizabeth and I will celebrate our one-year anniversary. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've made it this far. Now we've just got till we die. I don't know however long that is. But we've actually been like a couple for something like five or six years. And I can actually remember our first date. I, I took her to Starbucks. And so I remember picking her up and taking her. And, and, and I just remember like the first date is one of the most important dates. Because I had kind of known her and, I, you know, we had been in the same friend group. But that first date is when you actually begin to like really get that one-on-one time and, and know who they are. You get to learn about her. You get to, you know, find out what do they like, what do they not like. You get to learn all these different things, so I'm excited. So we get to Starbucks, we order, we sit down, and it hasn't been long, and then we get interrupted. And it's one of my good friends. And so he comes over and start talk, starts talking to us. And so I'm expecting, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, great to catch up, and then he's gonna go on. But he starts talking, and then he keeps talking, and then he doesn't stop talking, and eventually he just pulls up a seat and just keeps on talking. And I'm thinking, dude, you know I don't have a sister. Who do you think this is? Like, come on, bro. So he starts talking, and, and he starts telling us about this new business venture that he's on. He's like, yeah, man, I'm into buying energy drinks now, and here's how it works. I bought some energy drinks from a guy above me, and now I've got to get people to sell my energy drinks, and I'll make money. And I'm sitting here thinking, you are interrupting my first date with this girl to tell me you're involved in a pyramid scheme. Come on, bro. What are you doing? So obviously I'm like, no, I don't want to buy your drinks or get involved in your scheme. And he would have just kept going all night, but, but there's one thing that stopped him, and this is so true. The reason he was at Starbucks was to try and, like, ask one of the Starbucks baristas out on a date. So me and Elizabeth are just watching him, and he goes up, and he talks to the girl, and he comes back with a little bit of a sad face. We're like, hey, man, what happened? He's like, well, I asked her out, and she said no. And then she pointed me to her fiancé, who also works at Starbucks and was right there. So needless to say, my man got out of there, peace. You know what I mean? Like, he was not hanging around, right? But, I mean, yes, we got our first day interrupted, but it actually became like one of those memories that we talk about, and it's really funny. I'm glad that it happened. But, yeah, that, that first date is important because you really want to get to know somebody. Because when you get to know somebody, it, it changes the way that you interact with them in the future. Like when you learn what music they like, then you know what to play in the car on the next day. When you learn what food they like and they hate, you know where to go and where not to go. And you find out what annoys them, you make sure you do not do that at all costs. Like you, you begin to learn how to interact with them. Now, I know this may sound elementary. This may sound kids' church. Just hold on, I'm going somewhere. But obviously, as Christians, it's extremely important that we know the God that we serve, that we know who he is and what he's like. You might say, that's great. But I think the problem with many of us is that we say that we would know God, we know truth about God, but we don't fully know God. We may know some things about him, and we might even be able to spit off some Christianese phrases, 
God is good all the time, all the time, God's good, amen, brother. Like you can, you can throw those out there, but do you like fully, really understand who this God is that you serve? I think some of us, we could say, that's right, God is grace. He is gracious, he is full of grace. But we don't really understand what that means, and that's why we live every single day trying to work for God's grace, going, what do I have to do to get you to love me, to get you to help me, when in reality, God's just got his hand open the whole time trying to be there for you and help you. But we don't really understand what it means for God to be grace. We could say God's a forgiving God, he's a loving God, he's compassionate, he's, he's merciful, he forgives me of my sins. And yet, we don't really understand, understand what it means for God to be a forgiving God. And so we try and take advantage of him. We think we can have our cake and eat it too, and so we live our life in sin, doing whatever we want and go, but God's gracious and forgiven, forgiving, I'm sure he'll get me out of this one. But God hasn't called us to live like that. And ultimately, when we understand truly and actually who God is, it brings us out of a dry place spiritually and brings us to our knees to worship and adore God with everything that we have, but we have to know him. And so that's why today we are looking at Exodus 34. Exodus 34, here's what's going on. God's people, the Israelites, have been freed uh, from Egyptian captivity. They're in the wilderness, and they automatically, like so quickly, sin. They build this golden calf and begin to worship this golden calf because Moses was apparently taken too long up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. So naturally, God's mad. Moses is mad. He comes down and just slams the tablets down, just destroys them because Israel's already in sin. And then God's like, you know what? I promised you I was going to bring you into the promised land. Y'all go on ahead without me. I'm not going with y'all because if I keep hanging out with y'all, I'm going to kill you. Like you're that stubborn. You're that sinful. I will consume you is what, the, is what God actually says. And then Moses goes to God and he's like, God, please, please. I thought I found favor in your sight. I, I, I thought you've already called us your people. I'm begging you, please don't remove your presence from us. And then Moses asked God this. He says, God, show me your glory. And in a separate spot, he says, Lord, show me your ways. Reveal to me who you are so that I can best lead your people and we can do better in the future despite our sinfulness. And God says, you're right. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to continue with you even in your sin. And then God reveals his nature, his glory, who he is uh, to Moses and to his people. And what God ultimately is saying is this. I am going to save you and deliver you. Not because of who you are. Because you are a sinful, stubborn, rebellious people. I'm going to save you because of who I am. And this is who I am. And that's where we're picking up in Exodus 34. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And then here's our passage today. And the Lord passed before him. 
and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God answers this this prayer of Moses saying, I'm going to reveal to you who I am and why I'm saving you. And so he gives us this list of who he is. So first he says this, he says, I am merciful and I am gracious. Now, as we're studying these words, it's important to take a look at them in the original language. This was originally written in Hebrew. When we look at this word translated mercy, it can also be translated compassion, care. The the picture that we're getting here is that God is merciful and, 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 and compassionate and caring for his people. That he's able to put himself in their place and understand them. That God's able to look on sinful humanity and notice their weakness, notice their sinfulness, notice their, their brokenness, that they are helpless without him and he deeply cares about them. But then it says that he's gracious. This is God's unmerited favor, his help, his power, his deliverance. And you can't earn it. If you could earn grace, it wouldn't be grace. And so God extended his his compassion and his grace to the Israelites because he was compassionate on them because they were stuck in Egyptian captivity. He felt bad for them. And then he extended his grace to them in delivering them, in defeating the armies of Pharaoh, in guiding them and leading them with a cloud and a pillar of fire by giving them food in the wilderness and drink in the wilderness, by leading them into the promised land. God has extended his grace, his power, his help, his blessings in order to save them because he's compassionate on his people. A merciful and gracious God. And I'm grateful that this merciful and gracious God, he's merciful and gracious to his people, to Christians. But God is merciful and gracious to the entire world. And I'm grateful for that. There's a theological term um, that's called common grace. This is God's grace on all of humanity, despite them ever, you know, accepting him or receiving salvation. So, for instance, he makes the sun rise on the wicked and the righteous. He makes the rain fall and grow crops so that the wicked and the righteous can have food and can survive. He's allowed technological developments and gifted certain people who may never even believe in him to to, to develop technologies that better our world. We've got surgeries and medical devices and all of these different things that benefit everybody. It's God's common grace on everyone. But then there's a second thing to all people called prevenient grace. And this, this, this grace is salvific in nature. It points us towards Jesus. This is the grace that enables all of humanity to see God, to see his reality, and hopefully draw near to him and and become a Christian. For instance, God's prevenient grace is shown in nature. The Bible says that God has revealed his power and his dominion through nature. Uh, Pastor Matt Chandler all the time says, you can't stand at the Grand Canyon and go, wow, how amazing am I? I'm really something, aren't I? I am awesome. Now, what do you do? You forget about yourself and you just look in awe as God's creation and nature speaks of something higher and greater than us. 
This provenient grace is a conscience. All people deep down know what's right and wrong. We might sear that conscience, we might ignore it, but deep down, like, you don't have to explain to someone why murder is wrong. Like, everyone just knows murder is wrong. And it's these different things that are drawing all of humanity towards God. It's his grace on everyone. But then finally, God gives his grace specifically to his people to help us every single day, to guide us every single day, to give us power just to get through the day and look more and more like Jesus. And for some reason, we do a really good job at, at accepting God's grace to all people. But we have some strong misunderstandings when it comes to God's grace actively at work in our lives every single day. Um, oh, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe I'm telling you this story. Like, sometime last year, Elizabeth and I hadn't moved into our house yet. We were still living in the apartment. And so I come home one day and I check the mail. And we have a piece of mail from one of the local car dealerships. And on it, it says, hey, scratch off these three things, and if you have the same symbol, you could win $1,000. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know I entered. This is awesome. I might win some money. So I take it in, and I get a quarter, and I scratch off the first, and it's like the money sign. I'm like, oh, yeah, baby, two more of these, and I'm getting $1,000. Scratch off the second one, same sign, and I'm thinking, here we go. I scratch off that third one, and it's the same sign. And me and Elizabeth look at each other like, oh, my gosh, we just won $1,000. We're rich. Let's go. Like, we think, oh, my gosh, this is great. And then I'm thinking, you fools. Why are you just giving me $1,000? I'm about to play you. I ain't buying a car. I'm taking it home with me. Come on now. Like, y'all are dumb. And so I'm all excited, and I think I'm just taking advantage of them. And so I drive up to the car dealership place. I'm like, hey, I just won the $1,000. They're like, great. Why don't you sit down and fill out some forms for us, and then we'll, we'll get you in ready. And so I'm filling it out. Like, I'm about to take your money. Like, just get, like, just filling everything out. And they're like, all right, we're ready. And so he brings me to this back room, and he's like, all right. Glad you had the card. Now, the next step is this. There was actually a number on your card. And if it doesn't match up with this number on the wall, you don't win anything. Oh, look at that. You don't win anything. Would you like to buy a car? And then just, I just sank right in that moment. Like, oh my gosh, I've got God. They just got me. I've been played. I drove all the way out here thinking I'm winning money, and this dude has the audacity to ask if I want to buy a car. I ain't buying nothing from you. I'm not stepping foot back in this place because you got me. Like, just for, I don't know why, but I was just so gullible. I thought, yeah, of course I'm going to get $1,000. It's just, it's hilarious, but there's there some stipulations there. I think what's funny about us as Christians, though, is this, is that when it comes to God's grace, because it sounds too good to be true, we think it must not be true. And God says that he offers us unhindered, unmerited, free favor and help in our time of need, yet we're constantly checking for the fine print on the back. Well, there's got to be more than this to it. Surely grace just can't be free. And I think one of the biggest things that we struggle with is that we think God's grace is like one of those coupons. It's like one use per customer. That we get this coupon, we use it for one person at one time, and then it's over. And so when we knew that we needed to get saved and receive Jesus, we turned our one-use-per-customer grace coupon in. God forgave us of all of our sins, but now it's up to us to get our life together. 
Now that I'm in this battle between flesh and spirit, now that I'm in this war trying to be a godly husband or wife, now that I'm in this battle trying to raise my kids right, yeah, 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 God helped me with that whole forgiveness of sins thing, but now he's looking at me expecting me to get my life together ASAP. And instead of looking at Jesus as this benevolent God who's giving us grace and strength and power to get through the day, we think Jesus is just looking at us with disappointment. Like, why aren't you better? How have you been serving Jesus three years and you're still doing that same thing? How do you still give into that temptation every now and then? How are you still yelling at your kids like that? How are you still making your wife cry occasionally? I thought you were better than that. And we just feel shame and guilt. And we feel like our grace has run out and it's time for me to fix my life. But can I give you some good news today? We serve an infinite God, which means that he knows no bounds. There is nothing that contains him. Not only is he infinite, he is gracious. And when you put those two together, you realize that we serve an infinite God with infinite grace. And there was grace for yesterday, but there's grace for today, and there will be grace for tomorrow. There's grace to forgive you of your sins, but there's grace to free you of your sins. There's grace to make you a better husband. There's grace to make you a better wife. There's grace so that you don't keep talking about people behind their back at work. There's grace to form you and shape you. God's not asking you to get your life together. He's setting, He said, let me get your life together and there's grace for it God is a gracious God today he's compassionate and merciful and he deeply deeply cares about his people but then he he goes on and he says this long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin when it says that God is, is long-suffering, it means that he's slow to anger. It basically means that God can put up with a whole lot of junk. Like he can take our sin and take our sin and take our sin for a long time before he decides to release his wrath. And so when it comes to the Israelites, they sinned almost immediately. Like these, they have messed up so quickly. And God had every right to destroy every last one of them right there. He even told him that. He said, Moses, I want you to go down there and tell him I could kill y'all right now, and I probably should, but I won't. Like, he made it abundantly clear, you deserve death. But he did it. Why? Because he's patient in our sinfulness. He's long-suffering. He can take a whole lot. But then what does it say? It says that he's abounding in goodness and truth. Now, once again, we need to return to the Hebrew. When it says goodness, this word is actually in the Hebrew, hesed. Now, other places it's translated like this. Loving kindness, these two words put together, or steadfast love, a love that doesn't move. The, the, the message that is portrayed here is this, is that God's love is a covenant love. Here's what I mean. We think of love as sort of this transaction, that as long as you're good to me and as long as I'm good to you, we will love each other. But as soon as you stab me in the back, as soon as you do something wrong, as soon as you do something I don't like, I don't love you anymore. It's an emotional thing. It's dependent on their actions. As soon as you mess up, the love is gone. But God's love is different. 
God's love is a covenant love, which means God loves his people through the agreement that he's made for them. And he's faithful to his people through the agreement that he's made for them. Now, for the Israelites, God had promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had made a covenant, a promise with them. I'm going to make a nation out of you, and I'm going to send you into this land, and your people are going to be a light to the nations. And then with present Israel, he had made a covenant that said, follow my Ten Commandments, and I'm going to lead you and guide you and bring you into this land. And what God is saying is this. We've made this agreement. We've made this covenant, and you've already broken it. You've already messed up your side of the deal. And although you deserve for me to abandon you and judge you, I've made an agreement with you and a promise to you, and I'm standing on it. Despite your sin, despite your rebellion, despite your unfaithfulness, I am still faithful, and I will bring you into this land just like I promised you. God's love is not dependent on your actions or your worthiness. He just loves you because he's promised you what he would do. And finally, it says that he's faithful or he's true, which means that God will never unintentionally break his covenant and God will never intentionally break his covenant. You never have to worry about God telling a lie. You never have to worry about God saying one thing, but actually meaning another thing. God is true in all of his words. And this is just like, just unlike the rest of humanity. Like, I don't know about y'all, but like, I am not sometimes, sometimes I am not slow to anger. Sometimes I am quick to anger and I unleash my wrath. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of y'all last night were quick to anger at the entire Clemson football team. Y'all said some unholy words. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. If you're being real, freaking out at this football game. Because we're just just not like that. We hold grudges. We're not forgiving people by nature. God says that he forgives sins, all kinds of sins. His his offer of forgiveness, forgetting sins and transgression and iniquity always stands. But it's just unlike human nature. I remember I was in the sixth grade. And so my first year in middle school. And when you're in middle school, you're meeting all of these different brand new people that had gone to all these different elementary schools. And so I had made a friend that year, and I feel so bad, I can't remember this guy's name. So we're just going to call him John, because I don't remember his name. John was a nice guy. He was always really nice to me. We, We always really got along very well. But John was a sixth grader, immature, probably picked this up at home. John liked to cuss, like, all the time. Now, I'm not trying to justify cussing, but, like, he never did it towards me. Like, it was never malicious. He was never calling me names. He would just throw out words here and there and use it in his natural language. But in my immature, sixth-grade, self-righteous, super-Christian mind, I thought, oh, no, I am standing on the word of God. I will stamp this sin out right now in Jesus' name. I'm not putting up with this. So, like, he's cussing all the time, and it's just like, it's been like two weeks or something, and word after word, I'm just building up my anger. And then one day, we're at our lockers, and I open my locker. I'm getting some books out. He lets one fly, and I slam the door, and I said, stop. If you cuss around me one more time, I'm going to beat you up. Threaten my man. Cuss again, I will stab you. Come on, do something. That's in the Bible. God said to do that. Not really. Like in my little immature mind, I thought, let's just, let's just kill the kid. He's got to stop doing this. Like we got to quit. Why? Because God is slow to anchor and he can put up with a lot of junk. 
God is forgiving and his promise stands, but we are opposite of that. And that's hard to understand, but this is true. This is the gospel that in the face of our sin and in the face of our unworthiness, God is slow to anger. The apostle Peter said that right now God is slow to anger and the father is holding the son back to give more and more time for people on this earth to repent and to turn to Jesus. God is faithful and that even though humanity is sinful and broken, his promise still stands that if you would just believe on my son Jesus, I will forgive you of your sins. He is a gracious and forgiving God even when you don't deserve it, forgiving all kinds of sins. And if you find yourself in this place today and you're not saved, or maybe you you used to serve Jesus, but you've backslidden and you need to get right, maybe you feel right now like you've out-sinned the forgiveness of God. Maybe you feel like like right now that God used to have that offer, but he's taken it away from you because you've gone too far. Maybe you you feel like you want to repent and turn to Jesus, but that offer just doesn't stand. Can I tell you, he is patient in your sins. And when you do wrong, he stands faithful and true, and he is still a forgiving God. God is standing there with his arms wide open, just like he was on the cross when he paid for your sins, saying, come home to me. Forgiveness is here. Become a child of God. I still love you. That's who God is. And Christian, maybe you've sinned this week. Maybe you've done something wrong and you're just walking in embarrassment and shame. And then maybe you're doing that Christian thing where you're so embarrassed about what you did, you're actually trying to run and hide from God like Adam and Eve. Like you're not reading your Bible and you're not praying because you don't feel worthy and you just feel like, ugh, and you're trying to hang your head low. Can I just encourage you? Just go to God. Ask for forgiveness and move on. He's ready to forgive and forget. You don't have to play games, feel ashamed, walk around with your head held um, just low. Jesus has already paid for your sins with his blood. Receive his forgiveness and keep going. Keep going. But we need to be careful of something today. And God recognized this. That when sinful humanity looks on the goodness of God, that he's kind and merciful and gracious, that he's a God who forgives sins, that there is a proclivity in the sinful human heart to take advantage of God's grace. And we lie to ourselves and think, hey, God is so gracious and forgiving, I will live my life in sin, and he's got to forgive me because he's gracious, right? I'll be God of my own world, do exactly what I want, but I pray to prayer at nine, so I'm probably covered, because that's who God is, right? And right here, God knew we'd try and do that. God knew we'd try and take advantage of his kindness and of his grace. And here's what he says. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. He says that he is by no means clearing the guilty. Which means that if you are living your life in blatant, outright, confident sin, there is not forgiveness for you. It doesn't work that way. God will not be played. He won't be taken advantage of. He is not a tool for you to do what you want. You cannot pull the puppet strings on God and have your cake and eat it too. It doesn't work that way. 
God demands that we repent. He demands that we turn from our sin and turn towards him. And when he says that he visits the iniquity of the, of, of the children and their children, he doesn't mean that he's punishing children for their father's sins. It was an ancient misunderstanding that thought that if dad did this specific sin and God punished him, now I can do that same sin and God's already poured out all his wrath and I'll get away with it. It was a misunderstanding. It was, it was a lie in the ancient world. What God is saying is, no, 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 no. I'm going to judge him for his sin and you for your sin and you for your sin. You don't get off scot-free. You either repent of your sins or you face my judgment. It's as simple as that. God is demanding that we don't take advantage of him. But if we're going to receive his forgiveness, that we say I'm leaving the old man behind and I'm turning towards Jesus. I'm throwing my sin away and I'm walking in new life. I'm leaving a life of death and I'm living a life for Jesus. It's saying I'm not going to the old person. I hate that sin. I hate that sickness. I hate that death. I'm living towards Jesus. And Christian, let me remind you, repentance is not a one-time thing when you get saved. Repentance is a daily decision. That every morning when you get up, you go, God, I'm not living for that man today. I'm living for you. God, I'm not walking in the flesh today. I'm walking in step with the Spirit. It's a daily decision for every Christian in the room that says, I'm serving Jesus no matter what. A.W. Tozer says that the same cross that saved them is the same cross that slays them. And anything less is pseudo-Christianity and not true faith at all. If you are not dying to yourself daily and hating your sin, do you really trust Jesus at all? And so I want to encourage you, if you're that person in here today, that you've been trying to take advantage of God's grace, that you've bought into this, this, this false Christianity of easy believism, of cheap grace. This is I pray a prayer one time, I do what I want, and God has to forgive me. I want to beg you, repent today. You haven't gone too far. You might be living in sin, but there's still grace and forgiveness for you. Turn to Jesus. Allow him to wash you clean. Say no to your sin and walk in obedience and newness of life through the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Christian, I beg you, every day live a life of repentance, of turning from sin and turning towards Jesus. And you know how you do that? You focus on God's kindness. The apostle Paul says, don't you know that it's God's kindness that leads us, not to sin, not to licentiousness, not to doing what I want. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And every day, wake up and remind yourself of the goodness and the kindness of God. Get up out of your bed and say, God, you are merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You forgive me of all of my sins, and you are perfectly holy. I love you, and I thank you for who you are and for your love for me. And today I'm denying myself, I'm denying my sin, and I'm living my life towards you. That's how you live a life of obedience and repentance. That's how you do it today. And then finally, what does Moses do? After this revelation of God, it says this. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I've found grace in your sight, O Lord, 
Let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. God reveals his holy attributes, his kindness, and his goodness. And what's the first thing Moses does? It says that he made haste. Quickly, he got down on his knees, and he worshiped. When we have a full and true understanding of the glory of God, you can't help but quickly fall down to your knees and worship at the greatness and the glory and the kindness of our God. Maybe you find yourself in here and you feel dry spiritually. You feel like you've been bringing a dead worship. You walk through the doors, and as much as you try, it's just not there. The emotion's not there. The warm fuzzies aren't there. You try and raise your hand. I just want to encourage you, it may not be immediate, but wake up every day and fix your eyes on the kindness of God, and it will bring you to your knees. Would you stand today? I'd like to ask the band to come out. If the prayer team would go ahead and make your way down front. In just a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to come down to the altar. How we do. And here's what I want you to do. There's three things. Maybe today you need to rest on God's grace. Like you just need God's grace to work in your life. To make a way, bring a miracle, set you free from something. You just need answered prayer. When I ask everyone to come down, find a member of the prayer team and go after God with them. Two. Maybe you need to repent today. Maybe you've been living your life in sin. Maybe you've been trying to take advantage of the grace of God, but you realize you want to give your life to Jesus. When I ask everybody to come down, would you just find a prayer team member? They just want to lead you through a simple prayer and bring you into the kingdom of God. Jesus will forgive you of all of your sins. And finally, if none of that applies to you, would the rest of the church do like Moses and just sing this song Raise your hands and worship Jesus with every single thing that you have. So if you would, everyone in the church, would you make your way down to the altar today? Receive prayer if you need prayer, salvation if you need salvation, or just worship the King of Kings with every single thing that you have. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.